Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to PJ Howell. So PJ, say hello to the listeners. Hello, listeners. We are so happy to have you here, PJ. So um, let's start out with um, you getting our listeners getting to know you just a little bit. So tell us first what state in the Pacific Northwest that you may be living in. I live in the beautiful Washington state. Um, uh, in a very small town, uh, south of Olympia. Ah, hmm. Sound familiar to me. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> south of you, I think. <laughs> we won't reveal where we're at though. So yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I used to live in Olympia. Love, love, love Olympia very much. One of my favorite cities. So, so yeah. yeah. So PJ, you have an interesting backstory. Um, and we're going to dive in that because, um, I was, poking around on your website like a good researcher would do. And so um, first tell us, the, the audience and myself, are you currently working full-time or are you one of those lucky ones that are chasing the dream and writing full-time? I am actually currently one of the lucky ones um, chasing my dream. I left my day job two years ago. And Yay. so, yeah, I, I took the leap of faith and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it and, and continue to um, believe that it's going to work out. I love doing, I love writing. So I love this well, new journey. We will certainly be digging a little deeper into that after we get to introductions, because I feel like I'm on the launching pad. I just don't know how far I have to go before I jump. <laughs> <laughs> That's my feeling right now. It so, is scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll get there. So, so first, um, another thing that I like to ask a lot of questions, you know, kind of get you warmed up with the audience. Um, and as, as authors, we're often told we need to also be readers and be reading. So what is currently mm-hmm. on PJ's bookshelf or her nightstand that you're reading? Oh, well, I'm, I, I always have a couple of books going that I'm reading. Um, I am usually always reading some kind of uh, marketing or writing book, and I'm oh, yeah. always in the middle of one thing or another. Um, I just finished a book called Author Your Life. Um, uh, basically a, a, a way of positive reinforcement and believing you know, what's going to happen, try and make your dreams happen. Oh, I like um, that. <laughs> yeah. It's by author Laura and I can't say her last name, Zylin, Z-I-E-L-I-N. Okay. So I'm going to put that one up, put it on my reading list. <laughs> and I, I love to journal and mm-hmm. I like the idea of journaling uh, and writing about how you see your future, not necessarily writing about what's happening, but actually writing in a, in a positive way about what you believe is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I am a mystery buff. Um, and I, I also enjoy thrillers. I just started a new book called unspeakable, unspeakable things, um, by just Lowry. And that's a new author to me. So I'm really excited. I just started it and so far it's pretty good. I, I enjoy that. And then on the side, I'm reading a Agatha Christie, um, oh, short stories of Miss Marple, I've, just for fun. Yeah, got to have some fun reading in there. I've discovered that I'm not great at reading more than one thing, even if it's a separate, like um, reading about a book on um, the business of writing. That's what I call that whole marketing crap, mm-hmm. all that. And um, and then reading a fiction book or something or sci-fi, I have to just pick one and stick with it. But what I found is that I'm very good at listening to an audible book in fiction during the day because I work from home. So I'm lucky enough that I can turn it on for here or there when I'm doing something. Um, and that doesn't seem to compete as much with actually the physical reading book of a book. So that's what I've been doing, trying to get more books in. There's never enough time for enough reading and writing, in my opinion. <laughs> You're, you're right about that. I split mine up. I, I like to read in, at night before I go to bed. And so I read books that maybe don't make me want to, um, you know, stick with them. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Miss Marple's easy, so I can just do a chapter and I'm good. Yeah. The thrillers, I like to read other times of the day because I just, sometimes I want to keep going. Oh, and yeah. the marketing, 
marketing books I'll read on my breaks in between writing. So those are just day things or something I have on my Kindle, maybe when I'm standing in a long line. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a trick that I tell a lot of people, especially because I work with students. Um, they're actually adult students getting their bachelor's degree and they have to study on their own. And I tell them all the time, you know, there's a lot of studying you can do when you're standing in line at the grocery store if you have a book or a phone. <laughs> like you can, Yeah, to do it. So, and I'm not really. I love paper, and I don't really prefer the the Kindle. I don't, you know, it's. I prefer to read the book versus the Kindle version. But what I've discovered is that nonfiction. I prefer to just have those on my Kindle Hmm. because I can read a couple of pages and I'll be good, and read a couple pages again another time. And it's not. uh, I don't have to. I'm not as absorbed as I am with the fiction, which I love to hold. Me too. And I haven't really become a Kindle convert. Um, I would, I want to, I'm a whole technology buff. Like if you could see my office, it's technology, everything. I can imagine. Um, but the Kindle reading on a Kindle has never been something that has, um, been a desire of mine. I've tried, but it's not the same feeling as a book or paperback or hardback, but I'm wondering if I need to try that technique of it being more of the, around the business of writing, I might do better. So I'll try that. So that's a great tip. Thank you. That works well for me. I found that to be the best way for me to do it because I have too much, not too much nostalgia for books mm-hmm. to give up reading fiction that way. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my paper. Oh, me too, man. Oh, my husband, he's like always having to build new shelves because I Mm -hmm. just, and starting this podcast and talking to authors and getting in the writer community as thick as I have it, I have a lot more books now to read. So he's just like, oh, I need to build you a library. I'm like, yes, that would be lovely. And you're going to have to find more time on top of it. Oh, yes. That is the key, right? The time factor, but we squeeze in what we can. So let's, let's, um, let me ask you this. So uh, I am intrigued about your form, being a former defense investigator. That's what I read on your website. So um, were you always interested in that kind of a, a thing or were you a writer in disguise and you didn't know you were a writer until just two years ago when you decided to jump and be a writer full time? <laughs> tell, um, tell us the journey. <laughs> Okay. So I was, I was very creative when I was young. And so I was always into writing and drawing and photography, but I really didn't know uh, that I could be a writer, you know, back when I was young that, you know, it wasn't really an option. It was go to school, get a job, get married, that kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very, very interested in the legal field. And so that's what I decided to go to school for. Originally, I became a legal assistant after getting a degree um, at a community college, um, after working at a couple of law firms, I got hired on by, um, an attorney who was my criminal law attorney at the time and, um, worked for that firm for nine years as a legal assistant. And through that, um, met and became friends with the PI that we used to use mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and was very interested in the line of work because I was honestly getting bored of being just an assistant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, decided to look into it and became a private investigator myself after going through all of the requirements that the state had for me. Um, And so I was a private investigator for about 15 years, Mm -hmm. um, opened my own agency, um, worked mainly in criminal defense, some civil, but mainly criminal defense because that is the area of law that I was always uh, involved with before besides um, family law, which um, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> don't want to get involved with that as a PI. It's too emotional. Yeah. But um, contracted with the counties nearby me and um, became one of the busiest female investigators uh, around at that time. It was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed all the people that I worked for. Um, I still miss it. Um, it, it was really so I. I wrote a lot when I was a PI, but I wrote reports, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, which is much different, obviously, than writing fiction. But I had to write these reports based on what the witnesses described to me. And I had to put it into a story in a way that somebody who was reading it could understand what this person had gone through. And this is what they were describing based on what they had witnessed or gone through. And, um, And it was about 2007 when I started just thinking about writing again. I hadn't thought about writing since I was uh, in high school Mm -hmm. and started 
thinking more about story ideas. Um, just started a story idea notebook and just kept adding to it with no real concept of what I was going to do with it um, until a certain story idea wouldn't leave me alone. Mm, I know that story. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And and I had never told anybody, not even my husband, who I'd been married to for quite a while by that time. So it was, um, I think not until about 2011, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> 2011, when I finally got brave enough. Well, the story idea that was, was bugging me then, this particular one, and I finally got brave enough to tell my husband about it. He got super excited, wanted me to look more into actually writing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I was, uh, you know... No, I, my first thought was, no, I can't write a book. Um, what I used to write years ago was short stories. And I would, I would write a short story and I'd put it away. Or I honestly, I would throw them away too. Uh-huh. I'd, write, I'd write short stories, enter into contests, and I would never, uh, never enter in that, that fear, that fear of putting yourself out there, fear of failure, fear, all that fear. Um, but I finally, I finally decided to sit down and try and write the book. I did it behind my husband's back. Uh, didn't tell him I was doing it. I was so scared still to even ad- admit that I was going to try and write a book. You know, how, mm-hmm. what kind of gall do I have to think that I could write a book? But I, I did. I wrote, um, took me about four months. I finished the first draft and um, decided to write uh, what I knew. I decided to make my character a private investigator and decided to... Um, uh, write what I know. Um, and so that's how my series began. I didn't even know I was going to write a series. I just started the first book and at the end realized I had more to say. I had, my, my characters had more to say. And it just birthed from there. I love your story so much. And let me tell you a couple of reasons why is um, a is because I, I have a very similar thing that uh, has happened to me. It's only been about two years that I started. It's going to be two years that I started this podcast. The podcast started out by me and my husband having a discussion about what I was going to do in my career. I was at a, a standstill and um, I thought maybe I want to get my doctorate and my husband has always known I've written, but I never share it with anybody. And he's heard the stories, you know, but he doesn't, he, he fell in love with me for my writing. Cause we met back when there was no text messaging and emails. <laughs> you know, so we actually hand wrote letters to each other for a while. Uh-huh. And um, so he, he just gently said, why go get another degree? It, it'd be my doctorate. Why do another degree when you're so good at writing? Why don't you just finally write and just be a writer? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it started from there to me asking a lot of people in my area that I didn't know were actually writers. I, I'd come across them, find out they were doing it, and I found out they were writing. And I'm like, well, how did you get published? And then I'd start hearing their stories. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of great information. I wish I had known there was so much great information out there. So I started a podcast. Mm-hmm. Two years later, still working on the first novel, but I'm loving it, um, mm-hmm. that part of it. Um, and it, if it wasn't for my husband giving me the encouragement to do it, I would have never done it. The other part I love about your story is where you mentioned that um, – how did you feel like you had the audacity to write, you know, who are you? And the self-doubt talk that we give ourselves as creatives, I think is so hard for people to understand that I think every writer, I'm going on probably 85 authors I've interviewed recorded and Mm -hmm. every one of us have felt that doubt. And some people have put it aside for years or decades Mm -hmm. and decided not to press through it. So I'm so glad you did. And I'm so glad you're on the show to share with us this journey and story. (laughs) I'm very, very intrigued by also the fact of the investig the PI part of it being a private investigator and that part of the story, because I always secretly wanted to be a PI. (laughs) always I'm like drawn to it but I'm like yeah, I'm not going to start another career now I've already got my projection going um <laughs> but my husband tells me often that I probably miss my calling because I'm very much into true crime I'm into anything to do with investigations any mm-hmm. investigative show on tv we watch he won't watch it with me I'll have it figured out within 10 minutes and he's like oh just you always have it down you always figure it out <laughs> I'm like it's pretty easy to figure it out <laughs> So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. How fascinating. So, PJ, um, share with us how many books you have um, 
your titles, how many you have, and what genres do they deviate? Or you, you know, write in the same genre, and then um, we'll start talking a little bit about the writing process that you go through. Okay, so I currently have five novels in the mystery series. Um, I'm currently working on the sixth. I have the very first one titled "It's No Mother of Mine," then "Best Kept Secrets," then "Ties That Bind," "Cross My Heart," and "Price of Betrayal." Those are the five in the series. And um, my character Georgia, which is spelled J-O-R-J-A, um, I love it. She she becomes a private investigator. It doesn't start out as one, but becomes one. And so the series follows the cases that she works on, but also a mystery surrounding her own family, which is what started the series in the, in the beginning. Uh So there's always two, there's the, the casework and also, um, the, the, the mystery behind her, her family. Oh, I got it. So she's working out her own life as she's going through this. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I did, I did deviate in, um, dabbling with some, uh, there, I, I tried a couple of short stories. I wrote a ghost story called Thirteen Thirteen Psychopath," um, <laughs> and and actually that started out just as a fun book. My youngest wanted me to write a story and and include uh, him and his brother in the story, and um, so I for Christmas one year I decided to write a story. I put uh, both my boys, my niece, my nephew. I, I gave them different names, but each character was associated with each of the kids, and I wrote this ghost story and it was so much fun to write. It's a short story. Um, I gave it to them for Christmas and they absolutely loved it. I shared it with some others and, um, received positive feedback. So I went ahead and published that as a short because it was, um, just a fun read, a fun, fun ghost story. Um, and then I, I dabbled with another short story called 1111 Anna's Awakening. And it's a, honestly, I, I really don't know how to explain it. It's a little bit of a, um, it's a, it involves numerology. It involves a marriage that's uh, uh, fractured due to the death of a child. Um, it's about greed. It's about um, uh, lies. It's it's a it's a mix of everything, um, and it's an odd book where the character uh, decided that her fate was not going to be what I thought it was going to be, and. I've described this before and people, when I describe how I write and I, I, we can get to that, I guess later, but, um, this character in particular told me that her story was going to change. And so I have to, I had to go with it and it, it became a fun story to write because I was surprised in the end. Um, and I have one more book out. It's a nonfiction. Um, and that was written during a time after, a. um, traumatic event in my life. And I just had to write something motivational to kind of help me get through because it was really hard for me to write, uh, just, just to write. So mm-hmm. I had to do something. Mm-hmm. So that's what I have out right now. Well, that's awesome. So I got a couple questions for you. So the first one is the series, um, is you have it placed around the Pacific Northwest settings. Is that correct? Yes. It's actually, it's actually set in a small town, Pacific Northwest, small town, um, a real town, uh, characters and businesses and everything obviously are not real. Um, but I have set it in a real town. And, um, and so I speak at, uh, events local to here and, and people love to, when they hear the town that, that it's set in, um, they're just excited. I know that town and, you know, I'll talk about Olympia or I'll talk about other areas nearby. And, and I've, um, received feedback where, you know, people love reading books where they can associate or, uh, visualize what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I think I I totally am drawn to that as well. I, my husband and I I just finished reading. My husband's listening to it, Deep River, and it's set here in Washington and Astoria area, and from history, from way back history. And we're we drove around um, to Astoria after I read it, and he got halfway through listening to me. He's like, I had no idea, you know, back in the 1800s, this is how it was when you know. So I think everybody likes to relate to something, you know, mm-hmm. in a book like that. So that's great. So second question was on the, 
the story that you created for your children and your um, niece and nephew, did they recognize their characters in the story? Because you changed their names. Did you, did they know, Hey, that was me. (laughs) Yeah. I think they were able to figure it out. And, but what was funny was, um, and they were then, but my, um, my youngest didn't appreciate that. I gave him a girlfriend in the book. (laughs) 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 You know, I, I switched things up a bit, but they were able to figure it out. Um, and, and it was, that was a, that was a fun, I'd like to write more short stories um, mm-hmm. because they, they are easy to write in between the long ones. My, my series books are pretty long. They, they average, you know, over 300 pages, sometimes four even mm-hmm. depending on the printing, but um, they're all around 300 pages. Okay. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. One of my um, friends in my writer's group, he's been working on, he's a lawyer. And so he has a series he's been working on for about 10 years I think we're in book three or four and he had to stop for a while because he'd been working on it for so long and he's been recently putting together a short story collection and Mm. I can't believe how it's um, just reawoken his writing so much. And he's excited to get done with this, to go back to the series, you know, so that it re-energizes when you can switch for a while like that. Yeah, it it does. It feels good to be in another world for a bit and then it, yeah, Yeah. it isn't. Well, let's talk because you alluded to it and I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about your writing process. And I think there's something, I don't think it's as unique to me because I've talked to a lot of authors and I have the same thing happen, but maybe to listeners that are readers, um, you were talking about how your character was leading you and you didn't know where the end of that story was going to go until the end. So share with us a little about your writing process. Does it start with the idea and you're like one of those people that just write through, you don't do a lot of planning. How does that process go for you? Yes, I'm very, I'm a very organic writer. I, I have an idea of the general concept of the story. I, I know what cases maybe Georgia is going to be working on. Um, but when I, when I first started writing the first book, I, I had to do a lot of research about writing in general, writing books, mm-hmm. um, because I really didn't know what, what I was getting into. Um, and, the, and learning about writing dialogue. Um, and, and there's so many factors in writing. And so I did a lot of research, but, but I finally had to jump in and just start writing because you can, you can only read so much advice. You just, you just finally have to do Gotta it. Jump in and do it. Yeah. Make the mistakes. Yep. 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 And, and, and I, I learned a lot, um, through from the first to the fifth, but when, when I, when I started writing, I had no concept about whether or not I'd be able to use an outline or not. And I quickly learned that I cannot because I, I, um, the way I write, I, it's, it's as if I'm watching a movie in my head and I'm just writing as it, as it plays out in front of me. And I, I might have an idea. Um, when I wrote my series, I thought I knew there was a, a killer, a murderer. I thought I knew who the bad person was, but I didn't, it changed on me. And that really surprised me. And there were certain things my characters did where I would, I would just go, huh, why did, why did they do that? And I learned not really to question it, but to go with it because in the end it kept working out and Mm -hmm. that really surprised me. It was, it's scary, but it's so much fun to write that way because I know if I'm surprising myself, I'm surprising the reader. Um, because you know, it's great to read, but you don't always want to already know halfway through the book, how it's going to end because you figured it out. Mm -hmm. And I, I love putting twists and turns in the books. It's not that I meant to, but it's just what happens. And a lot of the readers I've talked to really enjoy that. Um, and so I have a general idea, a synopsis of what I expect is going to happen in the book, uh, new characters or, or what have you, old characters that are coming back. I have an idea of all those um, and maybe the cases that might come into play, but then I just write and I let it play out and I wait to see what happens. I love it. I I totally feel like that's how I doing mine as well. Um, and I started out with doing a lot of research because mine's historical fiction in Queen Elizabeth the first era. And I knew a lot about that. That's the Shakespearean era. Um, I knew a lot about it from just studying it in high school and, and college, but not enough to take it to the level that I wanted to as a commonwealth person, not sure. in royalty. You can read a lot about that. So I spent a lot of time on the development of the characters. I had the three main characters. That's all I had. And the one main character, Annabelle. 
And she was the one that I worked on the most. And then the two that are around her, but, and I had an idea of a couple of events that were going to happen in her life, but it has been literally writing on the journey with her (laughs) and Mm -hmm. keeping up and then writing the story down. And I, I too am often amazed. I'll write a scene before writer's group that I'm going to send to them. And I'm like, I had no idea that was coming. I can't wait. (laughs) hear how they feel about it (laughs) when they read it (laughs) it's a really good it is it's a really good feeling yeah and it is the creative part that I love the most Mm -hmm. um and and oftentimes I don't know about you tell us if this happens to you when you're in the middle of working on a particular um part of the book those scenes can pop in your head almost when you're not expecting them. You could be cooking dinner or whatever. And then a great scene's going to come. It's coming. And you're like, I had to stop and go write this down. I'll forget it. <laughs> yeah, actually I'll, I'll tell you, I just had a speaking event um, last, last week. And I, so I was, I was talking about the series to the group and, and I'm currently working on number six. So as I'm taught, I'm, I'm speaking to the group about the series, about uh, my writing process, what have you. And uh, twice during my uh, event, I, I had a little blip. My, my mind just, just kind of went off where I'm like, Oh, Oh, what was I saying? And I realized what was happening was talking to them about the series, about the characters, about everything um, it kept bringing me back to the current work in progress where I, I, I kept thinking of things, uh, that I needed to keep track of in my head about the current work in process. And I, I was having a, it, I was really having a difficult time. I'm like, no, 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 not now. I got to talk to these yep, people right now. Yep. Leave me alone. No, I totally know that so many times. My husband will see it happen on my face where he'll be like, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead and talk to Annabelle, get it all out and come back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, and this sounds interesting too, but you know, tell me this, there's times when I've had a little bit of a blockage where I don't know what we're going to be working on. I don't know what we're going to be writing on. And I get a moment to write and I'm like, okay, Annabelle, you need to just come and tell me the story because I don't know where we're going. And I have this block of time. Let's find out what's happening with you. And I literally speak to her as if she's in my life, in my home. And then it starts to flow. I I just, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I'll be sad when Annabelle's stories are completed because I'll have to find a new person to have conversations with. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I, I've read a lot of uh, books about the process, but one thing I do agree with is that eventually a character is going to come to you and tell you they want their story written. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and really when you're not expecting it. And when I was in the middle of this series, I had another, um, two more characters come talk to me about a different series. And so that's something I have on, on the side that I'm working on as I, as I'm able. Um, but it's, you know, it's difficult when you have a couple different irons in the fire. Oh, I hear you. Uh, well, I just add more characters do want their stories told. So oh, yeah, once they find out you're a writer and you're going to listen to them, they kind of mm-hmm. pop, <laughs> which is a good problem in my opinion. <laughs> so so uh, tell us um, about your your publication. Are you self-published? Are you hybrid? Are you independent with a small publishing house? Kind of walk us through that. I, I decided to, um, so I wrote that first draft in 2011. And, and, and once I, I actually had a book ready, then I'm like, oh, what am I going to do with it now? Um, I mean, it wasn't ready. It was still in the first draft. So in 2012, I, that's when I had to do a lot of research about how am I going to publish this? How am I going to get this in somebody else's hands? And I, and at the at the time, the ebooks were becoming a real, you know, everybody was um, getting into ebooks around that time. Self publishing still had a stigma wrapped around it, but the more I researched, the less I wanted to rely on somebody else to wait for my book to get out there. And I decided to publish it myself through um, print on demand. Um, and, uh, eBooks mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. I had, I had a gal help me with the formatting of the first ebook because I had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, I used the print on demand service at, uh, at create space that Amazon had at the time. Um, but I, I did, I decided to, uh, after re- reading so much advice again, again, so much advice out there about what to do um, about publishing <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot of great advice out there. I just finally had to decide 
I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it myself. And so I did. I, I published uh, through Amazon's um, Create Space, set up the eBooks, um, and got that first book out there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then from there out. to now, because you've done quite a few books, right? Mm-hmm. And you are doing this full time. What's like, if you could give one piece of advice to somebody like me, because I don't know how I'm going to publish yet. I'm still on the fence. I, some days I think I want to self-publish. Some days I think I want to go to indie house, find an indie house, you know, and I don't know. Um, what is some sage advice you can give me? Well, if, if I, I like having, I'm a control freak. So I like having control over my product and getting it out there versus waiting for, um, hiring a publisher or indie publishing company, I think is a good idea if it's somebody that you can trust and it's not going to, um, take too much money. That that's the only problem. Me, when you're first starting out to spend a lot of money on, um, book copies to try to then later sell them. That's what I didn't want to do. I like the idea of the print on demand. So any indie publishing company that can offer print on demand, that's great. And then the eBooks don't cost you anything uh, except for the editing and the cover art. And, and that is the other thing, you know, I learned that the hard way um, with my first book, I used a, um, I used a, a cover artist or I don't know exactly what, what I would call, but, Somebody helped me with the cover and then they helped me format the eBooks and then, uh, had a proofreader, Mm -hmm. but I was a new author and I should not have had a proofreader. I should have had somebody that actually was editing my work, editing the the developmental parts of my book. I, I didn't have any, I, I just didn't know the difference. Yeah. And so recognizing that a new book and where I am now, even when I'm reading the, the first book to the fifth book, big, you know, there's, you can, and I've had people um, comment on this, that they can see me growing as an author, which is a huge compliment because every, everybody that, um, that I have uh, spoken to about, they love the series, they love the books, but when they say, you know, they've seen me grow as a writer, then I know I'm learning mm-hmm. and I'm getting better. And that means I can only, I can only keep learning and I can keep getting better but one of the reasons that I'm better is because finally by the third book, I realized I need a, I need an editor. I actually need somebody that's going to help me make sure that with my dialogue, with my, any plot holes that maybe I'm not, um, not seeing any issues with description, finally hired an editor. And, um, that was a huge breakthrough for me because she taught me a lot with my writing a lot more than I would have realized I would learn more than I learned from just reading about writing. Mm-hmm. She that, taught me a lot about me. Yeah. I think that dialogue that we have with an actual human is so imperative, but I, it's very scary to get there to um, want to have somebody. It was hard for me at least to feel like somebody's going to read my work. They're going to be critical and I'm going to, I'm going to yes. take sense to it. Right. I had yes. to get past that. Once I got past that and, and the right people came to me, it changed everything for me. And my writing improved so much too. So I, I agree with that. Um, what is, do you feel like, cause you're, you're really doing this full time. Is there, is there anything that you would tell yourself looking back as far, cause you have to do it as a business, in my opinion, if you're right. doing it like this. So what, what would you go back and tell yourself, this is the one thing I wish I knew, or I had learned before I really launched into this whole process. I think the the one thing I wish I'd known how difficult the marketing aspect of pushing myself was going to be because I am more of an introvert. I don't, it, this is the last few years that I've been doing this. You know, I, I published the first one in 2012. So I've been having to learn about how to put myself out there when I really am more comfortable just staying home and writing and, you know, and, conversing with people on the computer. Mm-hmm. So I've had to put myself out there with events, actually going out and trying to promote myself, you know, which is, which is really hard when you're um, an introvert and you're trying to market yourself, but not feel icky about it. Yep. Yep. Um, exactly. There's a definite yeah. market out there. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's um, so not that that would maybe have changed anything with regard to whether or not I would write or not, 
but I wish I had started sooner because one of the things that I kept putting off was because I wasn't really into marketing myself or you know, I was, I was, um, I was pushing it back because I just wanted to write. Yeah. But for years, you know, I, uh, some of the advice would always be to have an email list so you can market to your, your email list. And mm-hmm. I kept putting it off and putting it off. Didn't have a website, only had my blog on my blogger, had a Facebook page, but never set up a website, never set up my email list. And when I first published in 2012, that first book, I had a huge, I, I sold more books on that with that first book than, um, I expected and, or was anticipated when I would read, you know, how many books authors usually sell even at a first signing, how many they sell through, you know, so I, I, I knew I, I was doing, um, well in the, um, uh, how readers were receiving the book. And what I would tell myself then is to get on that email list because get that reader email list started. Because if I had done that, when I first finished the book back in 2011 and 2012, my email list now would be huge. Hmm. But instead I kept putting it off because I didn't, you know, I, I would, uh, I would email personally to people that were, that I knew Mm -hmm. and share my news. But then with all the legalities around that, I, I stopped doing that. You don't just, you don't push yourself without permission and all that. Um, but that's the one thing that I do regret is that, um, eight years ago, I wish I had been, um, getting those emails and having my own email list. So every time when I had a new book out, I would be able to blast them with, guess what? I have a new book out and I could have been offering news newsletters, quarterly, monthly newsletters, staying in touch with everybody mm-hmm. instead of meeting somebody and they go, wait, how many books do you have out? How come I don't know that? Thinking, yeah. Oh yeah. That's such a great point that about that. Now, I don't even know if my podcast listeners all know that I run a newsletter. I send out a newsletter every month and I feature the podcast authors that are going to be featuring. We have a book giveaway. So authors have donated signed copies of their books that I do a drawing on. And, um, and then I do news and I'm starting to put little tidbits of my, um, book that's that I'm working on in the newsletter because people are like what what's going on with your writing you know you've been doing this podcast what's actually going on so I'm doing that all in the newsletter but one thing I don't think that people realize um, unless you do one it's a lot of work to do a monthly newsletter (laughs) and 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 that is honestly why I kept putting it off because other authors were saying, get your email reader list, send out your newsletters. I'm like, wait, oh, you know, I have, yeah, yeah, I yeah. want to write my books, but to also write a newsletter. And, and, and then I, and then I got to, you know, I, I was always posting on my blog and I thought, well, shoot, I, it's a, it's a give and take for me. I'm not going to always post on my blog and also do no, newsletter and yeah. also try and write my books. Yep. And so the blog isn't maybe getting as many posts on it as it used to because those monthly newsletters are more personal and are going to people who actually want to receive and read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I totally get it. It's something that I think all of us authors struggle with. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's something I go back and forth every month that I'm working on the newsletter for um, what I'm doing in the podcast and my writing. And I'm trying to branch it out to readers and writers. Um, it's kind of got a broad spectrum there. I always wonder if it's worth doing because I keep reading a lot, do it, make sure you have a newsletter next year. Well, you know, I wonder if it's worth doing, but today, you know, when you, when you feel like you wonder if something is worth doing, you sometimes get a confirmation. It didn't come from my newsletter, but I had this really great email that came to me um, from somebody that had found my website and found some of the resources on the website and they're working with um, young writers in uh, Denver and she's a librarian and they're doing some projects around writing. And uh, she wanted to just let me know that they were using the resources off of the website. And that just warmed my heart because <laughs> I'm like, yay, somebody's getting some use out of what I've been doing. So that's so great. So yeah. 
I guess for listeners, if you're listening and you don't realize, you know, the, that you follow authors and their newsletters or, you know, you're on their website, there's a lot of work and love that goes into it. So if you have a very favorite author that you're following in the newsletter um, and you haven't reached out and said, hey, thanks to the newsletter, make sure you do that today. <laughs> so yes. It'll, it'll it make the whole fun. world, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you, you do want to know people are reading them. And, and obviously the, the program can tell you who's opening and clicking and all yeah. of that. But that it's doesn't feel nice the to hear. same to me. <laughs> right. It's yeah. not It's not as personal and heartfelt um, yeah. as somebody saying, hey, I really liked hearing from you. Yep. I, I enjoyed what you had to say. Yeah, it makes a very big difference. So, And if you aren't on my podcast newsletter for crying out loud and you're listening to this podcast, you should be because <laughs> you know, opportunity to maybe get PJ's book signed, copy, given, sent to you in the mail. <laughs> so, yeah, so, totally. Yeah. So PJ, tell me a little bit, you know, as you're going through that process, um, did you have a support group? I know you talked about later on you, you um, hired an editor and you had, you know, a copy editor uh, before that, but did you have a support group of uh, writers that you're around that helped you during that time as your first two or three books? No, I didn't. I, um, I only, um, a couple of years ago, I became aware of a writer's group, uh, south of me. And, um, I, I joined the group, but their meetings were always on evenings when I wasn't able to attend. Mm-hmm. And, but they, they, uh, put on a yearly writer's conference and actually do a really good job of it too. Mm-hmm. um, have an all day conference. And so I've been attending those the last couple of years and in meeting other, you know, there's, there's other writers around me, you know, who knew mm-hmm. and, exactly. and yeah, <laughs> no, I know this feeling very well. <laughs> yeah. And you, you don't realize. And, um, and, but like I said, I am, I am an introvert and I am, um, I, it is, it is hard for me to put myself out there. So the idea of joining a critique group is, is very uh, scary to me. I, um, you know, to have strangers. I mean, it was hard for me to finally uh, choose and and reach out to an editor who mm-hmm. I would never meet because she's over on the East Coast somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, you know, to say, hey, can you read my, well, of course I'm paying you, but still to have uh, that feedback, but to sit with a group of people and have them read my work, I ah, scared the heck out of me. Just even having my friends read my, my books and wait anxiously for what they might say. Um, some of them are avid readers, some aren't. Um, but I didn't. The first couple of years, I was really doing this on my own and really didn't know that there were other writers even close by to mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. But the last couple of years with uh, events and um, uh, other conferences I've attended, I've met other authors. And uh, it's, it is nice to put yourself out there and to meet others who are going through the same thing as you are, who might have the same doubts you do, who might question, you know, marketing or um, other tasks, what works, what doesn't, you can bounce ideas off each other. Um, It is a good, good thing to have in your corner for sure. I, I can't agree more. And I'm was very, I'm very, very similar to you. Um, people are often surprised when I tell them that I'm an introvert because they hear me on this show or they meet me face to face. And I'm very good at being an extrovert when needed for survival right. skills, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's exhausting to me. Yes. Um, and so I was in the same boat. I have been very, very blessed to be in a writer's group that's a very good writer's group, very small writer's group. But their critique, um, I found... I was terrified, like shaking inside when I went to my first meeting with them, when I knew they were going to critique some of my work Mm. and came away really excited because it was the first experience with writers Mm -hmm. that they could speak the language to me to help me understand where I've been with other kind of critique groups at work or whatever around writing or doing a project or whatever. And it wasn't, it just wasn't the same. And um, so I totally know that feeling. So I'm really glad that you, you have had some experiences, at least with um, conferences. I feel like our, our creative size as writers, we struggle so much with being out with other people, but once we get around other writers, it seems to feel like we're okay. Like, you know, huddled together and talking about um, the craft together. And it just makes us feel so much better. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot in common, we always find out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I did the podcast because it's so much easier for me to stay behind my microphone in my office and have these conversations than to have them face to face with people. (laughs) And I figure, you know, there's probably somebody else out there listening that's struggling like I have with getting together with people or understanding the process of writing. And that's why this podcast has been so good because there have been people that can't get near a writer's group or they've learned just so much from you guys sharing your stories and your journey. Mm -hmm. And um, along the way, you find some... Um, dedicated readers that love your work too. So win-win. Yeah. So speaking of your work, why don't we set the stage for you to do your reading? Um, first, share with us the title that you're going to read from so we um, we all know which one it is. The listeners know I'm going to have your show notes available for you so that they can go and find everything they need to find about you and get the books. Um, and then set the stage. If there's some um, backstory around the part that you're going to read, um, go ahead and share it with us. And I'm going to go quiet while you read so we don't have any loud dog barking. <laughs> okay. And I, so I decided to choose a, um, a portion of Cross My Heart, which is the fourth book. It was really hard for me to actually pick one because a couple of the um, uh, examples I wanted to read, I'm, I'm worried they gave too much away in the story, um, especially in the first three books. There's there's details you shouldn't know too soon, um, and so I, I'm just I'm reading from this just to give an idea of uh, a meeting of when Georgia uh, speaks to a potential client, um, and we'll just go from there. Georgia glanced at her calendar to recall the name of the the potential client who scheduled an appointment at four o'clock, Olivia Perkins. The note under Olivia's name was neighbor dispute. Georgia frowned. She wasn't sure she wanted to get involved in this sort of case. There wasn't much she could do other than listen to the client complain, but the woman sounded elderly and Georgia wasn't about to say no to someone who reminded her of her grandmother. While she waited for Olivia to arrive, she She reviewed invoices for the bookstore and scanned them so she could email them to her mother, Helen Matthews. Helen took care of the business records for Books and Brew, the bookstore and coffee shop Georgia and Taylor had opened together less than a year ago in Georgia's hometown of Tenina, Washington. Along with the store, Georgia also started her side business as a private investigator, and there hadn't been a dull moment since. The buzzer on her phone made her jump. She wondered whether she'd ever get used to the thing as she pushed the intercom button. Yes? Hi, Georgia, her high school employee, Kathleen Myers, replied. There's a Mrs. Perkins here to see you. Thanks, Kat. Tell her to come right up. Um, you might want to come down. Georgia could barely hear Kat, who was now whispering. It might be easier than having her come up there. Georgia's brow crinkled in thought, but she realized if the woman truly was elderly, she would agree with Kat that the wooden stairs up to her loft office may not be safe. Okay, be right down. After she grabbed a pen and notepad, Georgia quickly made her way down to the first floor where the bookstore and coffee shop were located. A handful of customers browsed for books, and a few women waited in line for Taylor to whip up their drink orders. A not-so-unusual day in their little town store. She quickly spotted the woman she assumed was her next appointment, standing next to the counter in a long, heavy coat, holding a black purse in both hands. Her visitor was a handsome woman with salt-and-pepper hair cut fairly short that flattered her long, slim face. Making eye contact with Kat, who inclined her head toward the elderly woman to confirm she was making her way toward the correct person, Georgia held out her hand. Hi, Mrs. Perkins. I'm Georgia Matthews. Olivia Perkins reached out to shake Georgia's hand, but was quick to return her hand beside the other on her purse. Just call me Olivia, dear. No need to be so formal. Georgia smiled, and you can call me Georgia. Would you like to sit here on the couch at one of the cafe tables, or would you rather go back to our break room where there may be more privacy? Olivia scanned the store as if to weigh her options. She critically looked over each customer before she turned back to Georgia. I don't trust anyone to keep what they hear to themselves. I'd prefer someplace more private. Georgia nodded. Okay, follow me back to the break room. Would you like a cup of coffee first? Olivia shook her head. No, thank you. I don't drink much this late in the day, especially caffeine. If I do, it irritates my stomach when I try to go to bed. Georgia was silently thankful for only being in her early 30s if getting old meant saying goodbye to coffee. She hoped that wouldn't be the case, but at least she had quite a few years before she'd have to find out. She led Olivia down the hall and into the break room where they both chose a chair. Georgia motioned toward the water cooler. Would you like some water? Olivia shook her head. No, thank you. I'm perfectly fine. Georgia placed her pad and pen on the table and leaned back in her chair. Well then, let's get started. You said you had a neighbor dispute. What is it that you think I can help you with? 
Olivia opened her purse and pulled out some photographs. She placed them on the table and pointed to them. Look at these and you'll understand. Curious, Georgia reached for them, examining each of the 10 photos before placing them on the table to view them all at once. I'm not entirely sure what I'm looking at, so let's go through each one and you can fill me in. Georgia pointed to a photo. What's this? Olivia huffed slightly. That's one of my prize ribbon roses, or it was until someone hacked it down to nothing. And I was going to submit it as a contender again in the rose event at the local fair this year. Georgia's frow burrowed. This was from last year? Nodding, Olivia said, yes, that's a photo of what it looked like last year in full bloom. And this, she pointed to another photo, is what it looked like last week after it was cut to pieces. I'm here to see you because I need your help to stop the person responsible in case they tried again with any of my other roses. I have some prize-winning roses, and I expect to be awarded the grand prize ribbons this year, but I won't if someone continues to sabotage my work. Okay, so what are the rest of the photos about? This is one of the plants in my side flower bed that the culprit murdered more recently, Olivia pointed to another photo, and this is a gnome, one of my favorites, by the way, that someone decided to smash to smithereens. Indicating yet another photo, Olivia continued, and this was a beautiful bird bath my husband made for me before he died. See how they broke off the birds and crushed them? It was such an awful thing they did, especially since it was a gift for my husband. Georgia frowned. Whoever did this to Olivia did seem to have issues. She pointed to another photo, which appeared to be a cottage with decorative garden knickknacks and waited for Olivia to describe what she was looking at. This was a fun project I started this spring. It's a miniature cottage, and I'm making a miniature garden to go with it in an old wheelbarrow I never use. See that cute little pathway and the garden bench, the tiny bird bath, the little arbor, and small plants? It's a fairy garden, and I have been very particular about the sort of fairies I place in that garden. See that one there? Olivia reached over to point to one small figurine sitting near the cottage. Georgia's stomach lurched when she picked up the photo to look closely at the figurine. Uh, yes, I see it. She used to have a sister, Olivia said, another fairy who looked similar to her but was blue rather than green. Now she's gone, kidnapped, it would seem. Took me weeks to find what I wanted and I had to order them. Now I'm going to have to hope I can order one to replace the one taken, but I'm not happy about that or that I have to spend money to replace her. Swallowing hard, Georgia placed the photo on the table. She carefully stacked photos together in a pile and looked at Olivia. I think I can help you. Olivia's surprise was evident when she smiled. You can? Well, at least with the disappearance of the fairy, I can. Olivia's smile turned to a frown of suspicion. And why is that? Changing the subject, Georgia asked, can you tell me what street you live on? Olivia's frown deepened. Why? I'm just curious if you can indulge me. I'd appreciate it. Well, I live on First Street. Why is that relevant? (laughs) Near the high school? Georgia knew Taylor would be upset to learn just how far out Bella had ventured when she escaped from the house. Yes, Olivia said, but don't tell me high school students did this. I know who did it, and it wasn't a high school student. I agree, Olivia, it wasn't a high school student, but where the fairy is concerned, it wasn't a person at all. What? How do you know that? Georgia sighed. Because my roommate's cat brought this fairy home this morning. I'm truly sorry. I'll clean it up and bring it to the store window if you want to stop by and pick it up. Olivia's relief was brief when a shadow worry crossed her face. Did the cat chew on it? Is she missing any parts? Georgia shook her head. I'm honestly not sure, but if she is, we'll pay to replace it. Again, I'm truly sorry. We'll try to keep Bella inside so this doesn't happen again. Georgia was about to get up, believing the conversation to be over when Olivia held up a hand. Now, hold on just a minute. Your roommate's cat might be responsible for the disappearance of the fairy, but there's no way your cat cut down my rose bush or the other flowers or crushed the birds on the bird feeder or murdered my gnome. That was someone else, and she's the person I want you to investigate. Really? Who do you think would purposely do that sort of thing to you? Why, my competition, of course, that so-called neighbor of mine, Wanda Turner. She's had it in for me because she believes I paid a judge to give me the winning ribbon instead of her when we had competing entries a few years back. Ever since, she's been trying to beat me at these events, and when she couldn't win, she decided to make sure I wouldn't be able to compete at all. Oh, well, is this something you brought to the attention of the police? This would be malicious mischief charge, I believe, but unless you have proof, I guess they probably won't be able to do anything. Do you have proof? Olivia huffed. That's why I'm coming to you. I want you to get me proof so I can go to the police. Georgia frowned. And how do you propose I do that? It's called surveillance, isn't it? When you sit in your car and take photos of someone, that's what I want to hire you to do. Uh, Well, unfortunately, that's not something I have time for. I'm sorry to say. And in a small town this small, it's difficult to look inconspicuous when you're simply sitting in a vehicle on the side of the street. How about setting up a security system? Instead, you could set up a video of your 
a video to capture whoever might be coming into your yard. That's relatively easy. Would you be interested in that? Olivia firmly shook her head. I'm not all that adept at understanding technology beyond a simple camera, I'm afraid. Georgia tried to hide her frustration. How could she help Olivia without offering too much of herself? At last, she ended the conversation by agreeing to return the ferry to Olivia and doing her best to come up with a solution that might work for them both. After the elderly woman left the store, Georgia returned the notebook back to her desk in the loft while she began to mentally run through ideas. She wasn't aware that a small smile played at her lips as she wrote gnome killer in pencil on the tab of the file folder designated to hold her notes. Not the end of that. So awesome. Okay. So I know Tanina well, (laughs) and and I think I might know Olivia too. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) No, just kidding. No, brilliantly done. So I can imagine that, you know, of course my first question is as a private investigator, investigator was this a case that came to you or similar (laughs) no it's not um and I've had the question because I've worked I I did over 15 years I worked a lot of cases from minor thefts domestic violence uh molestation and murder Mm -hmm. so I I worked a full spectrum of cases met many many people many interesting people uh good bad ugly it it doesn't matter there it each case has a mix of everything. And, um, and you can imagine there might be uh, people or cases that resonated, you know, more with me and somewhere or the other with regard to details. But none of the cases I write about in my books relate specifically to any particular case. Um, but when I think about, say, I want to add a case of theft to one of my stories then I just kind of run with what kind of what kind of character could I add? What kind of theft could it be about? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What kind of uh, pickle could I put Georgia in and trying to help somebody? And I just just like I do with the whole series is just organically letting it flow. Mm-hmm. I might have an idea of how the case is going to work out. Um, and sometimes, I mean, for me, I think I'll end up putting a few things in the story that have happened to me, um, uh, but not necessarily about what happened to anybody else. Gotcha. You know what I, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. no gnome killers. And I can't imagine how you couldn't add some parts of it because, you know, writing about human nature in the way that you're writing it right. as an investigator, there's just got to be a wealth of stuff you can draw from. <laughs> there, and there is, there's a, there's certain, um, say personalities or like you say, human nature and the way people react or, or, um, approach things. Um, and so when I, when I come up with ideas, it's not a specific person or case I may be thinking of, but, um, just because I have seen so much and I've seen what people are capable of. Um, it's definitely, there's, there's a lot of information in my head. I'm sure I'm drawing from, um, without purposely writing about any particular case. Um, there are some cases I would love to write about, but I can't. Um, (laughs) I can imagine, trust me, my mind can go there with you. Um, Okay, well, PJ, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Before we close out, this episode will be coming out in the summer. So do you have any big plans for speaking engagements um, in the summer uh, around 1st of June, July that you can let our listeners know about? I don't have any dates yet um, because I'm scheduled out next month. And I have, um, I know I have a summer event coming up, but I don't know the date yet. It kind of depends on uh, when number six is actually, you know, in my hot little hands. Um, But I have, um, so for anybody who is curious about meeting me, if they just, uh, they could sign up for my newsletter on my website and they'll get details of any upcoming events. Um, The, where I spoke last week, they want me to come back after my next book. I also am working on a young adult and I'm almost done with that. And, um, so they want me to come back when my young adult is hopefully also published this summer along with number six. 
Um, Fantastic. Awesome. So, so listeners, you can follow along off of show notes to PJ's um, website and sign up for her newsletter. And then you'll get all the news of when she's going to be out and about. You can connect with her. If you do hear her on the podcast and you uh, go to one of her events, make sure you let her know you heard her on the podcast. It's always a lot of fun. <laughs> the authors always email me, text me, oh my goodness, somebody told me that they just heard about me and from, they heard about this event and, um, heard me first on the podcast. So I love to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah, that would be. And if for anybody that's local, I do have an, um, another event coming up next month. It's in Olympia. So um, check out my uh, website, get on my newsletter if you want to sign up and you'll get the news of where that next event is being held. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming. We'll probably, um, we'll talk afterwards about maybe coming back with your young adult uh, book. I'd love to hear some more about that. <laughs> That one's been a lot of fun. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.